Here's a sentence I thought I would never, ever say. Is Post Malone haunted by a Jewish ghost? And then the worst massacre in American history you've never heard of today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. This is the second draft of this episode. I had some previous stories. You know, the the hardest thing about this podcast, and it's a lot of fun, but sometimes I'll record an episode and I'll listen back to it. Right when I'm done recording it, in this case, I go, that episode sucked. That episode that I just recorded, I could, I wouldn't want to listen to if I was a fan. I try to record all this stuff for 15-year-old Jason. Whenever I'm creating stuff when I was a musician, I wrote all my music for 15-year-old Jason. This podcast... I put out for 15-year-old Jason. And I was like, yeah, 15-year-old Jason wouldn't like that. So I'm doing a new one. And basically all of that research and stuff, gone. But this one, I like. This one, I do like. This one has some really interesting stories in it. I did want to salvage something, though, from that old story, from that last episode that I think 15-year-old Jason would enjoy. So I used to work at Wells Fargo Call Center. And we would have potlucks every once in a while. And usually when people do potlucks or when people like bring food, I usually don't bring anything. I'm usually, I usually do one of two things. <laughs> I don't bring anything. Or I bring something <laughs> gross so nobody asks me to bring anything the next time. Like once I had a potluck, I think it was at Best Buy, and they put me in charge of bringing the drinks. So I went and got them. <laughs> Those that like gross watered down Sunny D like Tampioca or whatever it is. It's like a Hispanic brand because I didn't want to do potlucks like I'll eat the food. I don't want to bring stuff. So they put me in charge of drinks. So I I bought like, <laughs> a couple of these giant gallon jugs of for like 97 cents each of that watered down Sunny D. <laughs> I am not above ruining things. To not have to do things in the future. So anyways. And it actually wasn't that bad. The drinks weren't that bad. But it's not what they were expecting. But then I remember that we were having a potluck. And I was in a good mood. You know. I was you know, like hey. You know, I was like happy. So I decided to go along with the plan. And people were saying you know. We were going to have a taco bar. And people were saying oh, I'll bring the cheese. And I'll bring the taco shells. And I said you know what. <laughs> I will bring the meat. I'll be the person who shells out the most money and I'll bring all the meat. I'll bring a ton of meat. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, because it's kind of out of character. (laughs) So anyways, I went to the store, bought like five, six pounds of meat, tons of meat. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like I'm contributing to a potluck for the first time in my life. And I'm like 28 years old. (laughs) So I get the meat. And then the next day I go into work and I bring it (laughs) into the break room. And it's taco time. We're ready to make the tacos. Everyone's starving. Everyone wants a, a taco. And I walk in and my friend Santiago looks at me as I'm carrying it in. And he goes, what's that? And I go, it's the meat. And he looks at me and goes, you're supposed to cook it. You're supposed to cook the meat at home and put seasoning in it. I brought, I brought in five pounds of frozen I brought in five pounds of frozen ground beef. And I go, I thought we'd cook it here. And he looks around and goes, with what? 
there's nothing here to cook five pounds of meat with. There's nothing here to cook a, a patty with. There's no stove. There's no oven. There's no George Foreman grill. How are you going to cook? Now, to, now, I had worked at this place for probably like two or three years at this point. I just didn't think. And here's the interesting thing about this. Did you know that you can go to a Taco Bell? We may have had like a, someone may have known someone there, but we we were in the same parking lot as a Taco Bell. You can go to Taco Bell and buy bags of Taco Bell meat. And it looks disgusting. It's just like this huge, giant, like sealed bag full of like that brown, clumpy meat. But someone went over there and bought like three or four bags for like 20 bucks. And it's quite a lot of meat. And that was how the taco bar was saved from Jason. I took my meat home and had hamburger patties forever. I told that story at the end of the last episode because I did a long segment on suicide and young kids killing themselves and all these horrible statistics. And then the episode just kind of faltered out. And I go, I got to end it with a story. That was a story. That's really the only thing I think I'm going to salvage from that. But anyways, I thought that was a funny story. I hope you you did too. And I hope you've learned a valuable lesson. Do not invite me to a potluck. People who know me, and this, I know people who know me listen to this podcast, they're going to realize all the times people said, hey, bring bring snacks to the play or bring snack. And they'll be like, damn it, Jason. That's why you never bring anything. (laughs) So many times, so many times. Okay, let's get started with the episode. That was a long, that was a long little story, but Post Malone is a I I don't know if rapper's the right term but Post Malone is a musician. He's not my cup of tea. I like rap. I like older rap. I like 89, 88 to like 2003. That's my thing of rap. And rap's the thing I'm most grumpy old man about. Like, oh, those kids, you can't hear them nowadays. I think that came across in my episodes about XXX Tentacion. I don't like new rap. Post Malone's more of like a Drake where he sings a bit. But anyway, so he's actually a very, very successful musician. And he seems to have a be a fan of the paranormal. He's been on the show Ghost Adventurers. I listened to some of his music while I was prepping this episode, and I was just like, eh. You know, he's not my cup of tea, but I, I, as I was listening to it, I was like, I can understand why people enjoy this music. It's just not for me. Anyway, so quick recap. In the past maybe month and a half, he's had a spate of bad luck. He was on his private jet, and the plane takes off, and the landing gear tire malfunctions. I believe it blows out or something like that. And the plane's like, "Uh uh-oh, like, we kind of need that to, you know, land and not blow up. So plane circles a bit and then lands, I believe, at that same airport. And, you know, the fans are like, oh, my God. And Post Malone's like, listen, you know, thanks for your prayers. I'm fine. It was scary. And then a couple weeks later, maybe a week or two later, he gets in a car accident. And people are like, well, that's a weird coincidence. And he's like, yeah, I'm a little shaken up, but, you know, I'm okay. And then a couple weeks after that, some armed gunmen broke into a house he used to live at. And they stole a bunch of money and they were looking for him. Apparently there were people there. That story's still a little, like, shaky. Like, I'm having a hard time finding a ton of detail on that. These armed gunmen go into a house where he used to live and they rob the place. So at this point, people are wondering, is something going on with Post Malone? I actually read, because I read that celebrity gossip stuff, the first thing I saw was that Post Malone had slept with a girl, but the girl's grandfather was like the head of some cartel in South America, and he took her virginity, which, you know, you're, you're a musician, that's kind of par for the course, but his, his the, the granddaughter's grandfather 
was head of some South American cartel and he was trying to kill Post Malone. And I thought, well, that could explain the home invasion, but how do you blow a tire off of a plane? I mean, there's more efficient ways. Just blow the plane up. Or just shoot him in the middle of a day. I mean, he's a rapper. People assume that they're going to get shot. So I read that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then a couple days later, I read this news article and it's kind of been flowing around the internet. So like I said, Post Malone's interested in the paranormal and he's been on that show Ghost Adventurers. Well, the host of Ghost Adventurers has a museum dedicated to weird and spooky stuff. And he has the Dybbuk box. This Zach Baggins, he's the guy from Ghost Adventurers. He has the Dybbuk box. What's the Dybbuk box, you ask? It's a cursed wine cabinet. This was sold on eBay quite a few years back. So the history of the Dybbuk box, it's a wine cabinet. And I'm going to give you a brief history. It's a wine cabinet that contained like a couple pennies and a couple locks of hair and like a little note that said Shalom. And it came over from Poland, you know, around the time of the Holocaust, this Jewish woman. It's it's a Dybbuk is a Jewish spirit. This Jewish woman takes it when she flees. She takes the box. She didn't want to leave it there. But she's like, don't ever open it. Apparently, it's haunted. It's actually what it came to attention because a guy bought it. And he was immediately like, all the bulbs started going out in my house. I had this strong smell of cat urine. I don't have a cat. He sells it on eBay and he goes, this box is haunted. Like, I gave it to my mom. The day I gave it to her, she had a stroke. And when I was talking to her in the hospital, she wrote a note. She couldn't speak, but she wrote a note and said, hate, gift. And so at this point, he's had enough weird stuff. He sells it on eBay. Another person who bought it on eBay starts to experience weird stuff. Where we're at now is that the Dybbuk box was then bought by a guy, and then he gave it to the, the host of Ghost Adventurers. And there's a video of the host of Ghost Adventurers opening the box, and Post Malone, who was on that episode... Touches the guy's shoulder, Zach's shoulder, and then they both leave the room. And after all this battle luck, Zach goes, I think he's being haunted by the ghost. I think he's got this ghost on him. Oh, and the Dybbuk is a ghost from Jewish folklore. Is it possible that Post Malone is being haunted by a ghost? That's causing all this stuff. I mean, I guess it's possible... So here's the thing. I believe in ghosts. I don't believe every ghost story ever, but I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in cursed objects and items and things like that. I believe in demons and so on and so forth. Again, I have my skeptic side of it. When I was researching this, I was approaching it from a skeptic side. And I think I'm kind of meeting in the middle. One, these events actually have happened to Post Malone. And luckily he's safe, I hope. No ill will on him. You know, I hope he continues to be successful and happy and all of that be possible that this ghost is causing this stuff i yeah i i guess could it just be a series of three really random events happening to somebody that's in the public eye yeah absolutely but imagine let's let's assume let's table this skepticism for a moment if this box has this divic in it and it's this efficient well, don't you think the government would get involved? Like, don't you think it wouldn't be passed around from collector to collector if there was an object? See, and that's the thing. When I when I say I believe in cursed objects and stuff like that, I think they either reside in one of two places or three places. One, they're undiscovered somewhere. Two, they're being passed around unknowingly from person to person. Or three, they're in somebody's very, very secure hands. Because if this Dybbuk box was able to be opened and a evil spirit would come out and mess with you, if I was a South American cartel, I'd buy that. If I was the U.S. government, I'd get that. Because it'd be the ultimate weapon. 
I think that, I mean, imagine if the U.S. government has a laboratory where they take all of these weird items. They they see the story online. You have people just researching this stuff all the time and they nothing you know they read in all this creepypasta no big deal but once they're like oh no this box actually we can account for these diseases and these strokes and these accidents the u.s government would take it because it's a weapon at that point it's an uncontained nuclear bomb i wouldn't be shocked if at some point there's a there's storehouses of this stuff i know there is that show warehouse 13 on sci-fi channel i never watched it but you know what i mean like governments or assassins or like high level people have, they're like, yeah, look at this is this amulet. If you wear it, you die within three days. There's only one in the world. People would be like, what are, what are you talking about, dude? Are you, what, what are you talking about? You want to put it on? No, I don't want to put it on. You just told me I'd die in three days. Yeah, but you don't believe it, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they would contain this stuff, not for a good reason, not to be like, we have to keep these safe. No, it would be like, we need to figure out if, can we mass produce this box? Can we ship one of these bucks over to Iran and give it to a mola? So I don't know. I mean, I again, I think cursed items are real. I don't necessarily know that the Dybbuk box is real. It, the, the stories sound real. But again, right now, they're just kind of stories that you see online and stuff like that. The owners have said, no, this stuff's happened to me. And I'm not going to go to that dude and be like, dude, prove to me your mom had a stroke. I want to know the truth. I mean, that's pretty douchey. But if I had a ton of money, I'd buy it and then try to figure out how to reproduce it or how to use it to take somebody out. Somebody that I didn't like. I'd be like, here you go. Ah, I'm not going to say her name, but here you go. Open this up. That's cold hearted. I shouldn't have made that joke. Okay, so we're going to move on to our next story. Speaking of being cold hearted, we are going to talk about a son of a bitch. There's really no other way to describe this guy. We're going to go back in time. Not literally, but that would be awesome. To 1927, there was a man named Andrew Kehoe, and he was just a despicable, despicable human. Now, people said that he was, like, eager to do favors and to kind of help out. This is in Michigan, I should say. They figured, you know, people... He said he was, you know, a good guy, but he was, like, really, get really angry really quickly. He didn't have an easy life. He had a daughter who had some serious um, health problems. He had a stepmom who blew up. She was working on like the stove and there was a fire. There was an accident and she just gets covered in hot grease and fire. And he threw water on her, which just made the grease fire even more. And it just killed her. So he had to watch that. And then he came where there was this school council in the area. This is a small town. So this is in the town of this is Bath township and it was this small area and he was just he he was one of those guys that was kind of luckless and then he'd get a break and then things would kind of fall apart for him i don't feel sympathetic for this guy because he's a total scumbag but yeah and so just so you don't feel too sympathetic for him he was super impatient one day a neighbor's dog walked onto his property and it was barking so he shot it another time he beat a horse to death so again like this guy is pretty scummy he would run for local elections. Sometimes he'd win. He ran for, so he was put in the position of temporary town clerk. And then he ran to take the position over for full. And he lost and he became despondent and he stopped working his farm. And his neighbor was like, I've seen that before. I've seen people stop working their farm. And generally means they're going to kill themselves because the farm is your life. If you're not working your farm, if you're not preparing it for the next season, you're not planning on having a next season. 
That's his buildup. So now we're in 1927. And on May 18th, his house blows up. And Andrew's sitting there in his car. He's getting everything ready to go somewhere. As rescuers are showing up and they're kind of putting the fire out and stuff like that. And Andrew turns to the rescuers and he says, Boys, you're my friends. You better get out of here. You better head down to the school. And drives away. As the rescuers are kind of like, what the hell? And they're putting out, still putting out fire. They hear a second, bigger explosion at the school. Now, Bath Consolidated School was an elementary school. And what Andrew Kehoe had done, over the course of months, he had been purchasing dynamite. He was putting some in his house and putting hundreds of pounds in the vents at the school. And they had a timer set to go off at 8.45. The north side of the school just is vaporized. The, the ceiling just collapses. Who, the kids who don't get incinerated in the blast get crushed by the debris. People said that, you know, people just begin rushing out of their houses. The people at the farm who were putting out that fire, they immediately got all their gear back on their trucks, started headed to the school. People just begin removing rubble. Teachers are saying, you know, I was just seeing bits and pieces of kids. The one teacher who survived the explosion, she said she just saw people, kids flying across the room. Like they had been catapulted. Just unimaginable horror. And she, the first thing she was like in shock from the noise. And then she sees this horrific stuff. People start pouring out of their houses. They don't know what's going on. They begin removing debris. One account said that they saw women pick up pieces of debris that would take 10 men to move. And you just had, you know, people were moving debris. People were looking for their children. They were just hoping under each piece they would find somebody alive. Andrew Kehoe pulls up outside of the school. And he's sitting there in his truck, kind of slumped over. And the school superintendent walks over to the truck to, you know, he thinks that Andrew who had been injured as well because he's just kind of slumped over. So the superintendent, a, another local and a young boy who had survived the blast of the school, he kind of wanders over by the truck as well. And the superintendent looks on the truck and he sees Andrew has a rifle. And there's a brief struggle over the rifle. And then the truck explodes. Andrew shot some more explosives in the truck that he had filled with bits and pieces of metal. He created a giant car bomb, an entire, you know, a giant IED that just shot out shrapnel. Killed himself, killed the superintendent, the farmer, killed the young eight-year-old boy who was just standing there. So a, a witness of the scene say, saw that this gets gross so i don't mind if you guys turn it off but or this gets dire i guess i should say that he goes there he goes this one witness said i saw a mother sitting there this one here so this one witness this was his account i saw one mother mrs eugene hart sitting on the bank a short distance from the school with a little dead girl on each side of her and holding a little boy percy who died a short time after they got him to the hospital this was about the time Kehoe blew his car up in the street, severely wounding Perry, the oldest child of Mr. and Mrs. Hart. So she's sitting there holding her son, who's dying. Her older son is next to her. 
and he just gets shredded by this debris. In total, his wife died, Andrew died, and then 44 other people died in that explosion. Now, the north side of the school blew up. As investigators were going through the area and people were removing rubble, they found 500 additional pounds of dynamite on the south side of the school, wired to a clock set to go off at 8.45. What they think was the first explosion sent shockwaves and disabled the other trigger, sparing all the kids on the south side. I mean, obviously there's debris flying around and there are injuries, but I think over 70 people got injured or something like that. I mean, obviously, you know, they are injured by debris. There was a total of 58 non-fatal injuries that day. And he was just mad insane. That's, that's on record as being the worst school massacre in American history. When we talk about school shootings, which are equally tragic, and you see numbers like 13 or 24 or things like that, none of them have even come close to comparing to the Bath School Massacre. And hopefully none of them ever will. Hopefully none of them ever will. It's just been lost to history. It was this massive news story back then, obviously. It was coast-to-coast news. It's actually worldwide news. They covered it. I think it's fascinating because these huge life-changing events, these huge events that ripple throughout the globe, just become lost as time goes on. So yeah, that's the story of the Bath School Massacre. It's chilling. It's just chilling to think that he planned this out and actually took steps. Like, he planned it out for months, and then he, like, prepared it for months he was hiding dynamite in there and the whole time he wasn't having second thoughts he was totally going to do this to punish the town that he felt slighted him in the election they figured the election was the ultimate trigger him losing that election nuts nutty stuff people nutty there's crazy people in the world and it's up to good people to stop bad people that's just kind of the mission really that's our mission is to reach out to these people who are being sucked into the darkness and say you're not alone. That might sound pat, but it can help. It really can help. You can hit me up at deadrabbitradio at gmail.com. That's our email address. You can also catch me at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. At Jason O. Carpenter is going to be our Twitter handle. Someone's yelling like right outside my door, so I'm having to speak through this. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today, guys. Have a great one. goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.